So as I was just marinating in this word, just literally all day today, I believe that the Heavenly Father is just so desperately desiring for His people to see themselves the way that He sees you. Because the enemy, the God of this world, is the great deceiver. And He is the blinder. He puts blinders on people. He lies to people. He, he calls them things that they're not. And God is wanting us to get our identity rooted and grounded and founded in Him and in Him alone. You know, in the natural, you know, as, as incredible as this is, you know, as God created us, something that is as small as our own fingerprint, that is the uniqueness of how each and every one of us are. Our fingerprint is different than each and every person in this room and each and every one in this world. In fact, we could take your fingerprints and they could draw you out of a crowd based upon your fingerprint. That is how meticulous, that is how creative, that is how uh, detailed our God is. How much more does He want to put His fingerprint upon your heart and begin to identify with who He says you are and not how the world has marred you and made you to think who you really are? Or who they want you to be. When we look into the mirror, what do we see? When we look at ourselves, how do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves in the light of God's Word? Or do we see ourselves through our experience? What do we identify with? You know, I find this very interesting when we meet somebody new. Bless you. When we meet somebody new, what's almost the first thing that we ask them? Okay, yeah, probably. What's your name? Exactly. What do you do for a living? Somehow we have this tendency to uh, embrace our identity and who we are oftentimes in what we do and not in who we really are. Um, Sometimes it's, it's in what we do, it's in our careers, it's in our, um, maybe our resume, you know, do, you, do we have letters after our name, PhD, yada, yada, yada. Um, do we find our identity in our successes, in our, in our failures, in our past regrets? Do we find our identity in our social status? Where do we find our identity? Because if we don't find it in God, if we don't find it in the Word, the enemy will gladly accommodate you and begin to just infiltrate your mind with lies and garbage about you. You know, it, it's so powerful, the power of words. You know, Proverbs 18.21, I believe, says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so I'm sure all of us can attest to, you know, we hear that statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I tell you what, words are more damaging and more destructive than you breaking my arm because it takes a lot longer oftentimes for the heart to heal than for the arm to heal. And so when people speak death over us, when people speak 
negativity over us, whether, you know, it was your parents or coworkers or just people in your life, you know, maybe you were bullied as a kid and, and they just spoke those words over you. It's amazing how it just begins to stick and begins to infiltrate you and you begin to believe those lies. The enemy is working hard in this world, especially right now. He is working overtime to confuse people and to mar their, I, I, to mar their identity. You know, we see that we're having an identity crisis. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. We don't have just male and female anymore. I mean, we got everything in between, and, and it's like, you know, how, are, how, how have we come to this place? Well, it's, it's pretty clear that the God of this world is after our identity. Because if he can attack our identity, he can attack our productivity in life. He can, he can uh, hinder our progress and where God wants us to go in life. I've said this before, but what we continually behold is what we ultimately become. What we behold is ultimately what we become. Has anybody heard of Mephibosheth? I got any Bible people in the house here? Mephibosheth. We'll, we'll, call, him, we'll call him Mephibs uh, for short. But uh, the Lord really put him on my heart and just said, just dig into his story. And uh, we'll just build on that. Um, so if you guys got your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's a pretty short chapter, and I really don't want to short hop this, so we're just going to go ahead and read it. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, I'm going to read it in the NLT, but the heading in my Bible, it says, David's kindness towards Mephibosheth. Verse 1, chapter 9, it says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both of his feet. Where is he? The king asked, in Lodi Bar. I, I thought that was kind of funny. He's down this street in Lodi Bar here. Uh, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephib or Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephib replied, Mephib replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid. Now, I can only imagine how Mephibosheth is feeling at this point when the king is summoning him. He's thinking, man, the rest of my family is gone. You know, what is the king going to want to do to me? So he comes to him, and uh, let's see, what verse were we at? Okay, so David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. But David said, don't be afraid. 
David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephib bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Now we could just stop right there and clearly see what Mephibosheth was thinking of himself, his identity towards himself. You know, being, being crippled like that and being somewhat of an outcast and set aside probably caused him to feel the way that he did about himself. It goes on to say, Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. So David's making it abundantly clear, this boy's eating at the king's table. He's eating in my house. It goes on to say, David had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephib ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephib had a young son named Micah or Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephib, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Now this Mephib, he was crippled, he was broken, he was an outcast when David called on him. You could imagine he felt unworthy. You know, he identified himself, you know, as a dead dog. But yet David saw him as a polar opposite. You know, he, he came to, he called him to sit at his table. Not because, and I like this, not because of anything that he did, but because of who his father is. I really believe that's types and shadows and prophetic of Jesus to us today. It's not of what we have done or not done, but because of what Jesus has done. We have been that wild olive tree engrafted in to the family of God because of Jesus' goodness, because of Jesus' sacrifice. We get to come and sit at the king's table and partake of healing, partake of prosperity, to take of provision, to take of peace. He's saying, son and daughter, come up here and sit at my table in my house and partake of all that I have for you. I got a statement for you. I want, I want this to really ring home. Mephib's identity almost robbed him of his inheritance. Because of the way that he saw himself and perceived himself and feared the king, what well, it kept him out in Lodibar. It kept him off in a distance. The way that we see the king, the way that we sing, see God through our eyes will either draw us towards him or away from him. Do we look at him as a good, loving, merciful father that gave his very best to redeem us? Or do we look at him as some God up in heaven like religion wants to tell us with lightning bolts in his hand just waiting to cast us down? 
Or is He a God with open arms, abounding in mercy and grace? Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Even before we messed up, God already had a plan. Come on, I'm preaching. So how we see God will affect how we see ourselves. And how we see ourselves can affect how we see other people. Anybody heard that, that phrase, misery loves company? If you're miserable, guess what? That's what you're going to attract. I've said this before. You don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. So if you're attracting the wrong stuff, you need to do it. Uh, a checkup on yourself. You need to judge yourself and say, man, have I been harboring, like Pastor Starlene was saying, are we getting bitter or better? Because that shows up and is evident to those around us. Joy is something that is contagious. When we're walking in the presence of God is on our life, I guess we, it's like a moth to a flame. It is, it is attractive. It's something that people are yearning for and desiring when we walk with God in, in such a way like that. But we don't attract what we want. We attract what we are. So become who God wants you to be. He's wanting to open up your eyes to a new realm. He's wanting to enlarge your capacity. He's wanting to stretch out your tent pegs because He's got more in store for you. But if you continue to see yourself in this limited way, He can only rise to the level in which your faith will allow Him. So if we see God in this light of he's mad at me <laughs> or he's disappointed in me or, you know, God just, you know, I, I'm one of those kids that he just kind of tolerates. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some of the stuff I did when I was a kid, that would definitely make me think, man, <laughs> I'm walking on thin ice here. But I tell you what, God's love is so great, He does not just tolerate you. In the middle of your mess, He called you, He chose you anyways. He loves you just the way that you are, but let's not stop there. He loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to lift you up out of the pit, set your feet upon the rock. He wants you to be firmly rooted and established in Him. See, the things of this world are constantly shifting. People are fickle, good people. <laughs> they think one, you know, they're, if they did it with Jesus, I can rest assured they're going to do it with us. Think about it. Palm Sunday. Can we go back there for a moment? coming in on a donkey's cult, man, getting praise, praising in one minute, next week, let's crucify him. That's some pretty bipolar, uh, it's like, these are some psychotic people here, can't seem to make up their mind, 
But that is the reality of what we're dealing with. So if we are finding our security and our foundation in what other people think, say, or do towards us, the, the opinion of man rather than the opinion of God, we are going to constantly be on shaky ground. We are going to be an insecure people because we are constantly being tossed because people's opinions of you are going to constantly fluctuate. And I'm talking good people. Because we all have a flesh nature. But God never wavers. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knew you even when you were being knit together in your mother's womb. He, writ out, he, writ, he wrote out the storybook of your life. I believe it's in Psalms 139. He wrote out the storybook of your life before even a single day had passed. He loves you and has plans and purposes for you that, that far exceed anything that your mind, our, our finite minds can comprehend. We are so limited but when we begin to spend time in the presence of the Master, He can begin to give us a new perspective. Kind of like what Pastor Starlene was saying. How, do, how are we seeing things? Things aren't always as they seem. Can we trust the heart of God when we can't trace the hand of God? Can we know that He is always looking out for our greater good even when it doesn't seem to be the case? So thank God Jesus made a way where there was no way. He paid a high price for our sins to redeem us to heal us, to give us a hope and a future, to give us a destiny. That's why he's calling us up to the king's table. And so many of us are like Mephibosheth. We may not be crippled in our legs, but we are crippled in our hearts. We are crippled in our minds. And it's causing us to hang out over here in Lodi Bar when God's saying, boy, turn around and come sit up with me at the king's table. Come feast of everything I got for you. But we can limit ourselves by thinking less of ourselves. Ooh, that's good. We can limit ourselves by thinking less of ourselves. God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I'm going to go ahead and just read through 21 just because it's good. 2 Corinthians 5:17 through 21 it says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person or a new creation or a new species completely transformed that's the the Terry edition there the old life is gone a new life has begun and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, 
no longer counting people's sins against them. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) I mean, we need to just give a praise shout for that. He is no longer counting your sins against you. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, that is such good news because we are allowing the weights of yesterday's sins to bog us down from what God has for us today. And God is saying, that's already washed in the blood. That's already been taken care of. Why are you thinking about it? I've already forgotten about it. Yowza. And he gave us the wonderful message Thank God for the gospel. It's good news. The message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. I tell you what, just reading the word preaches. So we are Christ's ambassadors, or we could say messengers for the kingdom of God. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That needs to be our heart's cry to this world. Repent and come back to God. He hasn't come back yet because he's wanting so many more to come into the kingdom of God. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and everlasting Christ and the everlasting life in the one Jesus Christ. Come back to God. Some of us need to pray, God, give me your heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. What matters to you, may it matter to me. If it don't matter to you, it don't matter to me. Adjust my priorities. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ or that we could be made in right standing with our Abba Heavenly Father. Where sin causes separation, the blood of Jesus caused that wall to come down. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could go in once a year to the Holy of Holies. But because of the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, that veil was torn from top to bottom. And now as men and women of God, we can enter boldly into the throne room of grace in the name of Jesus. Through Christ, we've been made right with God. People need to hear that. If you've accepted Christ, if you've said, Lord, forgive me, take my life, do something with it, wash me in your blood, robe me in your righteousness, be confident that it's done. And then take on boldness. It takes boldness to enter into the throne room of grace. It takes boldness to step up and sit at the king's table. Mephibosheth. Unworthy. No, I'm like a dead dog. I I couldn't possibly sit at the king's table. That's what the enemy is telling many people today. There are a lot of Mephibosheths out there today that may not be maimed in their feet, but they are radically maimed in their heart, maimed in their mind, maimed in their relationships, and it's causing a wall of separation 
from then entering into a place of intimacy with God that he is so earnestly desiring for them. It's time to take our place at the king's table and hold, take hold of what's rightfully ours in Christ. As I said before, there's healing at the table. There's protection at the table. There's provision at the table. There's peace at the table. There's joy at the table. There's wisdom at the table. There's strength at the table. There's purpose at the table. There's vision at the table. There's direction at the table. There's intimacy with God at the table. But you got to step up and get on the table. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe what we believe in God's word, what he says about us. The high, priest of our under, uh, the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. How cool is it to know that we have a God who can relate, a God that can understand, a God that is compassionate, a God that is not looking down on you like you're some weirdo. He's gone through everything that you have gone through, yet without sin. And I think I said this last time, but it bears repeating. If he didn't experience it in his life on the earth, he certainly experienced it on the cross where he bore the sins of the world for all mankind to where he was so, boy, and boy, he took a beating. To where he was so disfigured, he wasn't even recognized as a man. And yes, he took a physical beating. But I believe... And this is just me here. I believe that he was not identifiable as a man because of the sin and the sickness and the disease of the world just marring him to such a degree spiritually that it just disfigured him. So he understands, guys. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne room of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and find his grace to help when we need it most. Now that word grace in the New Testament, yes, it is unmerited favor. But really, in the New Testament, the primary Greek usage of that word is charisma or divine empowerment. The supernatural ability of God working in you that goes beyond your natural ability. His grace is His anointing to do what He's called you to do. His grace is His way of showing off in you and through you to other people to bring glory to His name. To see people doing things that are impossible in the natural, but just as Jesus said, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. That is the grace of God working and flowing in you. That's another message. But all you got to do is call upon that grace, draw upon that grace. Grace has a name, for by grace we've been saved through faith, and not, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have been saved by grace. We have been saved by Jesus. Grace has a name. Just a quick example from my life. 
when I go to my, and it's cool that my mom's here, but, you know, when I go to my parents' house, let my hair down, walk around in my underwear sometimes, but I will go into the fridge, and, I, and I'm not like, oh, I don't know, Mom, can I please have a popsicle? No, I enter boldly into the fridge and take whatever I want. Why? Because in my undies, I'm going to eat my pops or my otter pop. <laughs> okay, well, we won't go any further with that. But, <laughs> but there is that boldness. Why? Because there's a relationship. When there is a relationship, you can have that confidence to enter in because you have covenant, because you have relationship, because you have intimacy, because you have, you're related. You are related. You are heirs of your Father God and joint heirs with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't get any more related than that. You got the blood of Jesus flowing through your veins. You got the very Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you. The kingdom of God is not without, but within. And it says in Thessalonians that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that is in you. He is in you. And He can generate that stuff in your life as you have relationship with Him, as you step up to the King's table and partake of what He's already provided. See, I didn't have to ask for the Otter Pop. I didn't have to ask for the piece of pizza. I just went in and took it. I think God is, is it, it, this is not disrespectful, but I think God is desiring for some of His kids to have a holy boldness to know that I have a relationship with my God, that I can go in with Him and partake of whatever I want because He's already provided it. Some things we don't have to ask for. We just got to take it. Come on. Am I looking here? Okay. Shoot. I got so much. Okay. I'm going to close here. All right. Um, so ultimately, God is wanting to speak life and truth over us, through His Word, through His Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can rise to new heights in life. So that we can maximize our potential. So that the vision that He has for our life, that we can actually walk that thing out and not be intimidated by it. Because we have this confidence that He who called us, He who promised, He's faithful to perform it. He is faithful to get her done. This is so cool. I, I just, I, I did some, uh, when we went to Oklahoma to Rhema, I, I was taking some notes in a service. And in, in Romans chapter 8, one of the, in one of the sessions, I thought, whoa, I didn't even recognize it at, during the session, but I jotted it down in my notes. And this, this is quite profound. But in Romans chapter 8, and I encourage you all to just read Romans chapter 8. That is just the bomb diggity. I mean, there is so much goodness just chalked up in there. But Romans chapter 8, this, 
this minister made this observation. But in Romans chapter 8, starts out with no condemnation and finishes with no separation. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then at the very end of that chapter, like verse 38, I think it, it is, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So there's no condemnation, and there's nothing that can separate you. I tell you what, God has got you in His hand. He's got a firm grasp on you. Our security, our confidence, our identity has to come from Him. Or we are going to be all over the map in this life. When our confidence and we know and see ourselves the way that He sees us. You know what? Criticism just doesn't seem to have the hold that it once did. Things that irritated me before, not really that big a deal anymore. Why? Because I'm perfectly loved by the Most High God. I'm accepted in the Beloved. Anytime I want to, I can go and sit in my daddy's lap. All right, Steve, let's, uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and worship to a song. Um, it's only about five minutes. And then uh, I'm going to have Pastor Greg come up and close us out.
Amen. Man, I just hear through Pastor Terry just begging, God just begging us, come on up higher. Come on up higher. You've, you've, I've, you've made it this far, but there's so much more, so much more. You know, and I just think God is just literally begging us. Try me. Taste and see. Take another step. Stretch yourself just a little bit more and see if I won't be everything I said I would and more. Man, how many just based upon Terry did a great job, so eloquent, so beautifully laid out. Wow, great message. And then based on Starlene, your, your question you asked us, how many felt like we've been living in disappointments? So my wrapping this evening up, how many just say, you know, in spite of disappointments, based upon the gospel of just going higher to the table and taking advantage of all the benefits God's laid out, how many just say, you know, I'm going to put the disappointment aside and I'm going to continue to trust God and I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to, I'm going to take another step. I'm going to walk with God. He is true. He is good. He is faithful. He is merciful. He is a healer. He is kind. He is benevolent. He is a protector. So, fathers, our hands are just raised. Lord, we need you. And so we are going to come in. I hate to say it this way, but we're just going to walk into the kitchen in our underwear is who we are and just take advantage of what you've put out for us that you've gifted You're, with no strings attached. Just come take it. Grab it. There's gifts that belong to us. So, Father, I just thank you for your precious people here. We are going to put aside the things that have may have been a setback or a disappointment or didn't look quite the way we thought. But, Lord, we're going to stretch ourselves and press in and rise up, and we're not going to think we're unworthy. We are not in condemnation and we are not separated and we belong in royalty with you in Jesus name is there anybody here that just you're everyone's good with Jesus does anyone need to just confess Jesus as Lord man father I just thank you for saints here Lord and being stretched and fed a good meal tonight oh let that meal nourish us and may we draw wisdom and spiritual vitality from tonight's meal in jesus name